Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Brought to you by Fratelloni's Ace Hardware Stores. And now, from the mayor's office above the boathouse on the east shore of Spoon Lake, it's Garage Logic with Rookie on Production, Chris Reavers, Director of Social Media, John Hyde in the newsroom, and occasionally Kenny from the Krabby Coffee Shop. Here is your flashlight king, fireworks commissioner, and keeper of common sense, your mayor, Joe Souchere. Do you know why the protests in Paris are called the Yellow Vest protests? Because they have to do with uh, the price of gasoline and the people that work at gas stations wear yellow vests. No, it's a law in France that you have to keep a yellow vest in your car. I suppose uh, in the event you would have to get out of it, uh, the yellow vest apparently would be a safety precaution. It's something I did not know. But you're on the right track. The uh, protests that are tearing up Paris, uh, quite literally, uh, they're the result of the rubber uh, hitting the road. Uh, the, the rulers in the salon in order to save the earth, uh, raised taxes so considably on fuel that the French people can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And, and so going, what, hey. it's the lead editorial today in the Washington, uh, I'm sorry, in the Wall Street Journal. And, and so basically what we're discovering is when push comes to shove, uh, people are not going to, and I don't blame the protesters, by the way, they're not going to sacrifice their own economic health. They're not going to sacrifice growth for this, uh, for what the Wall Street Journal calls green piety. It's not working out for them. Mm-hmm. They can't afford it. The fault line runs between anti-carbon policies and economic growth, and France is a test for the political future of emissions restrictions. France already is a relatively low-carbon economy, with per capita emissions half of Germany's as of 2014. French governments have nonetheless pursued an ecological transition to further squeeze carbon emissions from every corner of the French economy. Those results are visible in the Paris streets. People don't want it. They can't take it. It's, it'll happen here. What, is it too far now? What do you mean? I mean how, how, will they se- how will they settle this now? What uh, By dropping the tax? Ma- Macron has already declared a moratorium uh, in an attempt to, to end the protest, but the yellow vest movements, that's not enough. You're not enough. We don't want any taxes on this, any more taxes on fuel than we already have. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. Uh, uh, Paris insists on cutting more, though transport emissions are notoriously hard to reduce. Cleaner engines or affordable hybrids have been slow to emerge. Undeterred, Mr. Macron pushed ahead with a series of punitive tax hikes to discourage driving. 
So this is what it's going to come to. In the, in the UN is on board to completely transform. Here's what this is about. It has nothing to do with the environment. This is to completely transform the economies of the world, which is another way of saying pretty much put the hammer to the Western, to Western civilization. Mm -hmm. And we, we will all be facing this. Uh, the Wall Street Journal notes, the carbon tax revolt is worldwide. Voters in Washington state, which we, we stereotypically think of as terribly liberal, right? Mm -hmm. The carbon tax revolt is worldwide. Voters in Washington state last month rejected a carbon tax that would have, that would have started at $15 per ton of emissions and climbed $2 a year indefinitely. Washington ranks 25th among American states in carbon emissions, and when we tried to estimate its contribution to global emissions, our calculator couldn't handle a number that small. Governor Jay Inslee and green activists nonetheless wanted voters to pay $2.3 billion in taxes over five years. Wow. And the voters, to their credit, rejected that. Ontario province in Canada is suing to block a federal carbon tax, and the issue could topple the Alberta government and perhaps Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Ontario Attorney General Carolyn Mulrooney warned that the federal tax grab takes money from families' pockets and makes job creators less competitive. German Chancellor Angela Merkel, uh, she has something called an energy wind, a transition to renewables that has increased dirty coal emissions and has caused household energy costs to soar has become a political liability. A carbon tax is, in theory, a more efficient way than regulation to reduce carbon emissions. But after decades of global conferences, forests of reports, dire television documentaries, celebrity appeals, school curriculum overhauls, and media bludgeoning, voters don't believe that climate change justifies policies that would raise their cost of living and hurt the economy. But, that, but if the U.N. gets its way, it's inevitable to bring about what, what the hysterical crowd is saying, we're all going to melt in 100 years. To prevent that, to, to sell us on the idea that that needs to be prevented, you will have to completely upend world economic growth. Can you see any other way? You're going to have no. to get out of your car. And if you get out of your car, you're not going to your job. And if you're not going to your job, you're not getting paid. And if you're not getting paid, you're not feeding your family. And you're seeing it now on the streets of Paris. An implosion. Mm -hmm. Well, and if you let technology, if you let technology go the way it is, people uh, yet, not yet born will come up with right. something. All we have right now is Elon Musk. But, but they the, the rulers get in the salon and they they come up with their divine interventions. That once those divine interventions reach the street, they invariably don't work because the people in the salon are disconnected from reality. We don't have to go to Paris to see that. Our friend Mike, who runs the shopping stop or whatever the hell it was yeah. on the uh, wherever that was, Reeves, uh over in, uh, you know, the salon people came and said, you can no longer sell menthol cigarettes near, in your store. In Loring Park. Huh? Loring Park. No, it's not in Loring Park. His gas station. Loring Park? Yes. No, the guy we talked to. Yes. No, he was out in uh, North Minneapolis. Oh, fr uh, free, um, 
That's not important. My point being, free mark. You you heard it from him yep. that once he was no longer able to sell the menthol cigarettes, he lost so much business that the fruits and vegetables the people in the salon also ordered him to sell were going to waste. He had to throw it away. It was costing right. him money. But the people in the salon, they're so dedicated to their own virtue. They know more than we do. And it has nothing to do with reality. Turn on the nightly news anytime in the last five nights and look at Paris burning mm-hmm. because the people in the salon don't want the French people uh, to drive cars. Even though France... Uh, Fremont market owner. Yeah. France is not contributing to uh, to a despoiled climate uh, Why were the, uh, as much as, say, uh, India or China. Or, why was France at the forefront of this? Why... Because they're ruled by socialists. Mm. Uh, President Emmanuel Macron and his socialist predecessor, Francois Hollande, targeted auto emissions because they account for about 40% of France's carbon emissions from fuel combustion compared to 21% in Germany. But this is mainly because France relies heavily on nuclear power for electricity. Well, and I won't bore you with this, the percentages. The, the point being that when you actually see the political class attempt to bring about the remedy for what they believe to be a global catastrophe in the making. When you see them attempt to bring about the remedy, it's not going to play with the people. Didn't play in the state of Washington, which invariably elects Mysterians to office. Didn't play, though. It's not going to play in uh, in Canada. Is, is this the pushback we're looking for or is this not a, a strong pushback this was maybe no, this is the socialist no this is pushback this is pushback uh, the 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 star tribune had a piece today uh the the uh, world leaders are uh, all have flown of course they didn't walk there uh have flown to a, a town in poland where there's a big climate meeting and the head of the un Guterres, says uh well, we must reinvent everything, or else uh, we'll all we'll all die in a hundred years. It'll be too hot. Remember those seismic waves I was talking to uh, LD LD about? Yeah. Okay, those were measurable. Those were showing up on graphs, and they didn't know what the hell it was. So nature still has the upper hand. Well, that's they another. Did, but but feather. they but they do know what the temperature is going to be a hundred years from now. No, they don't. And that's ultimately the question is that simple. How much do you want to pay in increased taxes to prevent what essentially is unknowable a hundred years from now? I don't. Not at all. And then people will say, "What about your grandchildren?" Well, don't you think a hundred years ago? People probably saw, uh, uh, as cars began to replace horses, for example, uh, don't you think people said, oh, my God, what's gonna, what, what kind of world are we going to be leaving for our grandchildren? Well, I'm one of those grandchildren. I'm that generation. It's pretty sweet. It's pretty damn good. I'd rather yeah. live today than 100 years ago. Stuff. Right. So today we're saying what kind of world will we leave to our grandchildren? Probably a great one if we don't kill ourselves with nuclear War. Think of the social media that will exist in a hundred years. Mm. 
Your thoughts will be out there in the ether forever. I am a robotic Patrick, and I will tell you I'm trolling. You know what? You can take your mind off all of this. I would stuff. like to know, bro. Get to RF Moeller uh, between now and Christmas. These are wonderful stores. They're uh, 50th in France in Edina, Ford in Cleveland and St. Paul, Gavaday Common in downtown Minneapolis. And uh, right now, RF Moeller Jeweler is hosting a John Hardy Designer Showcase event this Friday, December 7th through Sunday, December 9th, in all of their Twin Cities stores. John Hardy Jewelry is handcrafted by artisans in Bali using time honored techniques. She's going to love these designs. Or maybe he will if the gal gets something for the guy uh, because uh, Moeller is a one-stop shopping for heirlooms, memories, uh, wonderful, wonderful treatment. They're, they're a family-operated uh, jewelry store and have been for 67 years. They're special at pricing uh, just during this event. Visit uh, RF Moeller Jewelry in Edina, St. Paul, downtown Minneapolis, and a great website online at rfmoellerjeweler.com. the demagogues of diversity. It's Joe Suchere. I'm a child around you. No one's after me. Even when that nasty girl is around and serve me. Uh, six Mile Grove, Rock Man of Steel. Right. Let's go to Rutgers and visit the failed academy for a moment. Do it. Rutgers University professors. Rutgers is the New Jersey State School, is it not? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. That's yeah. correct. Rutgers University professors complained to their school president after campus police arrested a suspected illegal alien for driving under the influence and then allowed Immigration and Customs Enforcement to detain him. More than 100 Rutgers faculty members wrote a letter to the university's president, Robert Barchi, expressing their displeasure with the treatment of a man named Luis Alberto Lopez. Uh, signatories included history professor James Livingston, who in a post about children playing at a restaurant he frequented, called them little Caucasian bleep. Uh, remember that guy? Yes. Rutgers police approached Lopez's vehicle September 29 for a, spec, for a suspected DUI. Upon being pulled over, Lopez presented police officers with fake identification documents. Rutgers policy dictates that the university reports any individual who was both arrested for a violent crime and has immigration complications. Faculty signatories of the letter claim that Rutgers unfairly treated the illegal immigrant by excessively charging him. They also asserted that Barchi is violating his previous statement in which he called Rutgers a safe haven. So you see what the, what the, what the failed academy professors are saying here? We're so much on the side of this uh, immigrant that we don't care if he drove drunk through campus. Right. He's protected. Nope. Any illusion uh, that Rutgers is a place where individuals will not be targeted on the basis of immigration status is shattered once representatives of our community entrusted with ensuring campus security collaborate with ICE, the faculty said. In other words, we're, we're fine. And we got it. This he guy drove drunk through campus, presented fake documents to the cops. We're fine with that. We're fine with that. Doesn't work that way in this Because country. we're enlightened. 
We call upon you now to speak loudly and forcefully by issuing clear directives to the Rutgers University Police in writing and shared with our entire community that they are not to inquire about or report any individual's immigration status and that they must not detain people for rendition to ICE. In this alarming moment, such a decisive statement is critical to ensuring that your state of commitment to our campus as a safe haven holds true. This is unbelievable. It's, it's truly unbelievable. Would they have written the same thing had he killed somebody? Well, I hope not. I, what would they have done if he had, I don't what, know anymore. What would they have uh, written had he, had he killed a faculty member? That's what you're getting in the universities now. You can be an illegal alien with fake documents, drive through the campus drunk, and you will be defended by the tenured professors of the failed academy. I don't I don't think that's unusual to Rutgers. I bet the same thing would happen at the University of Minnesota. Why have they lost their common sense? Uh, uh, you know, they're smart. They're I can, smart I, I'm gonna, I think I can answer that. Because they once were part of a larger community. Okay. Uh, they might have gone to the same church, uh, you might have seen them in the same movie theater. You might have seen them in the same grocery store. Uh, but then what? Your kids might have been playing on the same teams. You were, you were living in the same neighborhood. David Gallertner was talking about this as long as 20 years ago. Uh, and what has happened is they have assigned themselves their own track. They're, they're the academic class in, in American life. And they have devised their own rules. Uh, what are the classes we've come up with? There's the academic class, uh, the entertainment class, the political class. And then I suppose you'd have to say the uh, outrageously uh, wealthy corporate type class. And they exist, exist on different tracks than the rest of us. And once they've drifted away from the rest of us, it was easier and easier for them to uh, regard truth as merely a postmodern uh, uh, affectation, that it can be whatever they decide it, it, it wants to be. They're only hanging out with each other. Hmm. So it's become so very easy. So they were with like-minded people, so it was that they, they, all bring, they were all nodding in agreement as mm -hmm. they said their, uh, uh, whatever they felt, and they all, it was like the emperor has no clothes. They all just, yep, okay, great, And you, and you never heard any of this when Obama was president. And when Obama was president, there were, there were tear gassings at the border. People tried to storm yes. into this country. Yes. That's been well documented, but these 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 failed academicians, uh, they're what they're really doing now is they're reacting to Trump with this display of uh, of what they believe to be their their virtue in welcoming this essentially a criminal to their campus, a criminal. But we're we're going to err on the side of being uh, in favor of the criminal here, because uh, we're evil white patriarchal Americans and uh, we should be ashamed of ourselves. Oh no, no, we shouldn't be. No, we shouldn't be. We're not evil. You're right to ask the question, though. What What if somebody was harmed here? What if? I, I wonder I I what their what reaction. These, I don't would know be. what these idiots would have done. I have no idea. Let's bring in Johnny. He's the newsman. He knows all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll do that right when we come back. But Joe, first, I want you to do this. Two million four hundred forty thousand injured and thirty five thousand ninety two dead. Those are the National Safety Council injury facts from our nation's highways in 2015 as a result of vehicle crashes. Federated Insurance reminds you, 
These are more than statistics. This is family, friends, and neighbors. Distracted driving is an epidemic, but it's not the only factor in vehicle crashes. How about fatigue? You drive when you're sleepy and find it too hard to keep your eyes open? Then pull over. Go for a walk. Have you ever been unable to recall changing lanes? Do you stay up late nights and drive to work tired? You've got to change those habits. A National Sleep Foundation poll revealed that 60% of adult drivers say they have driven a vehicle while feeling drowsy, and more than a third of those same drivers admitted to actually falling asleep at the wheel. Don't become a statistic. Get yourself some sleep before you get behind the wheel. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Please make it home safely today. make an announcement yes. on tomorrow's podcast <laughs> that'll be what wednesday november 5 yep we're going to be joined by december. stephen stephen moore the uh, heritage foundation's chief economist uh former wall street journal editorialist a uh, uh and he was the founder of the uh, club for growth from 1999 to 2004 he's a former member of the wall street journal editorial board and the heritage foundation announced that moore would become its chief economist hmm. he uh, shares uh, garage logic views on uh, just what governments are up to with the uh, this latest report from the united states government that says yep. we're all going to melt in 100 years he believes that uh, he, he does not find that to be true. And rather than continually hear that from me, why don't we hear it from a guy with better credentials than right. I have? Right. The Club for Growth. Yeah, that'll be tomorrow. Here's Johnny Hyde. Thanks, Joe. Uh, one broadcasting note. Mark Rosen, Rosie, uh, announced now this morning, uh, Tuesday morning, uh, he's retiring a little earlier than really? he said. Oh, yes. really? His original plan was to retire from WCCO in April following the Final Four. He says he's moving that date up to January 10th. He said there are no words to express the appreciation for the outpouring of support his family has received during uh, this time. Earlier this year, you might remember, he uh, came back after spending time off the airwaves to inform viewers that his wife's niece had been uh, battling a brain tumor. On Tuesday, Rosen wanted to thank viewers for their thoughts and prayers on his family's behalf and let them know he looks forward to closing out his career in Minneapolis. So he will now uh, be done on air as of January 10th. So I don't think he's ever worked for anybody else. No. That's a long he's a career. St. Louis Park kid, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, he's had a couple of different radio stints, but sure. other than that, he's worked for the same, you're right, the same television station mm-hmm. since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. One of the truly good dudes in this market. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You I, know, uh, at his, uh, I think he was at his best when he was with that KQ morning show. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a different guy. Oh. You're thinking of... Uh, no, Rosa, no, Rosa, Rosa, Rosa was with the Remember, he ran show. for governor. They got him yeah. to run then, for governor. But then, see, the evil neighbor said, no, no, you got to. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of Jeff Passholt. Oh, yeah. oh Passholt. Yeah. Passholt. Passholt sucks. So did Passholt follow <laughs> Rosa? Wow. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I think Jeff, I don't remember if he replaced him or if he was part of it as well. They might have been part of it as, I think together. they were on the same time, weren't yeah. they? I think. I, I kid because Jeff listens to us. That's I know he I does. just joking. Pass, he was really mean when he worked with him over yeah. at Care 11. What but a jerk. in all honesty, <laughs> going back to Rosen for a second, yeah. I was a 22-year-old intern, and he took about a half an hour to talk to me about the business. It had 
no, he had nothing to gain from and it other than just being a good dude. And after the 30 minutes, he said, I'm not wasting another yeah. minute. Yeah. You know what? Right. Yeah. Good luck, kid. Uh, you'll be working for Souchere someday. And, uh, Here we shot. are. Yep. Here's John Hyde again. Thanks. Uh, news headlines, officials with Minnesota-based airline Sun Country are interested in moving the headquarters. Metropolitan Airports Commission has scheduled a meeting December 17th to talk about the potential move with airline officials. According to the airline, the headquarters could move from Egan to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul area in 2019. Hmm. Sun Country officials said consolidation of the airline's Building C hangar space, the airline leases off Cargo Road near the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport, is under discussion for potential office space. Minnesota State Patrol troopers who pursued a speeding driver. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. So I get it. So their corporate headquarters is off of 494 and uh, whatever the last exit is before you're heading down the hill to the airport. Is it um, Lone Oak Road or whatever it is? That's where their corporate headquarters is. So they're saying they're going to move it over to Hangar C, where who, the other business who the hell offices cares? are. Oh, I, well, well, it's just weird to say it's moving from Egan <laughs> yeah. to the Twin Cities. Right. Yeah, it sounds like when I read that. I'll ask first my time. friend at the airport. All he right. probably yeah, will know let, more. He'll know. Minnesota State Patrol troopers who pursued a speeding driver through Minneapolis neighborhoods in a June chase that ended badly mm-hmm. injuring three kids operated within agency guidelines on pursuits, according to the patrol's chief, on Tuesday morning. The troopers are working today, said uh, State Patrol Chief Colonel Matt Langer. He said the Critical Incident Review Board found they were within existing policy. The six-minute pursuit ended when the driver slammed into a local park badly injuring three siblings who were playing there, including a two-year-old who suffered a broken neck and pelvis. Did you guys watch the video that was released? No. That was pretty tough to I watch. Did not. Knowing what was going to happen in the, at the end. I purposely don't watch those if I know there's a bad ending. Well, thankfully the kid didn't die, but still, I mean, yeah. he's never going to be the same. Squad car video showed the crash, and the patrol released the video and other investigative data at a press conference at its downtown St. Paul headquarters Tuesday. Langer said the patrol would not release video showing the moment the children were hit. The fleeing driver, 27-year-old— no, it, it, it did. The did video it? showed the guy running into the jungle, or, the, you know, whatever you call it, the, the swing set. Oh. I, I watched it. It just it just, it okay. just surfaced online. Okay. Okay. And you're conflicted because when you watch it, I get yeah, I, that. I couldn't watch that. I, I get that, you know, there are some in the camp that said, well, the police need to stop the pursuit so that this doesn't happen. Well, you can't just let a bad guy go either. So I, I'm i conflicted too, but man, it was tough to watch that. If, video. if he had done that on the Rutgers campus and oh. he was an illegal uh, alien, uh, he would be getting roundly defended. The fleeing driver was 27-year-old Kabar Waleen Powell. He might be. He pleaded guilty to two counts of fleeing police, was sentenced to 33 months in prison in August. National Republican Congressional Committee says it was hit with a cyber intrusion during the 2018 midterms. They reported it to the FBI. Committee spokesman Ian Pryor said Tuesday the intrusion was by a, quote, unknown entity, but an internal investigation had been launched. The historic and ornate U.S. Capitol Rotunda hosting mourners on Tuesday, paying respects to George H.W. Bush, who died last week at the age of 94. A casket bearing Bush's body arrived on the Capitol grounds at sunset on Monday for a ceremony led by congressional leaders who celebrated the life of the Republican president and father of the 43rd president, George W. Bush. In an extraordinary scene, former U.S. Senator Bob Dole, a friend and, of course, frequent foe of Bush, they ran against each other many times, was helped out of his wheelchair 
and saluted the former president. Who was that, John? I'm sorry. Bob Dole. Bob Dole. Bob was a cool video. Pretty damn cool. Yeah. Uh, emailers alerted me today to uh, uh, documents that were, I think, remained classified until about 2003, and even, even H.W. didn't know it. When his plane was shot down, he was in the water for four hours. Other people who were shot down were captured by Japanese, mm-hmm. and they were cannibalized. And the only reason Bush made it is because he was still far enough out at sea, and a submarine popped up literally right next to him. And he got on that sub where he remained for about a month before he got back to his ship. And he didn't wow. know, he didn't know that his compatriots had been cooked alive. Wow. Which would have happened to him had he been captured. I have a question. Mm-hmm. The Japanese cannibalized them? Mm-hmm. Japanese. That was a rare tribe that hadn't seen uh, society. Yeah, so it was a tribe, right? It wasn't I don't know. Like well, the it Japanese was, army, right? I mean, I mean no, maybe. no, no. It was people with the bamboo spears. Like, and, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I thought yeah. you meant like the, the Japanese. Like the tribe to, just a, a couple of weeks or last week. That right. Was, yeah. yeah, not the Japanese. Well, then I, I should take back that it was the Japanese. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I think uh, so. <laughs> Google it, Reeves. Uh, George Bush escaped. Who ate? No, George Bush escaped death. And then put cannibal, and it'll it'll tell you <laughs> okay. who did it. I apologize if it's uh, obviously it wasn't a I've never well maybe a his son guy has walking down the street thoughts in Japan. about what could have possibly no happened I don't to... want his son right yeah, now I want you to better. find this as quickly as nine possible. airmen <laughs> escaped from their planes after being shot down during bombing raids on Chichijima okay a tiny island 700 miles south of Tokyo in September of 1944. Eight were captured. The ninth, the only one to evade capture, was future U.S. President George W. Bush. George H.W. Bush. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not seeing a try. Well, whoever was on that small island. Was eaten by cannibals. Right. Yeah. Or, or whoever the airmen were eaten by. Right. Yeah. Right. All right. Landing in the water alone, Bush realized he'd been separated from the others. He found a life raft that he managed to inflate, although the wind was carrying him toward Chichijima, he began paddling in the opposite direction as best he could. For a while there, I thought I was done. Feeling helpless and delirious, he was suddenly shocked when a large American submarine right next miraculously <laughs> rose from the depths of below his inflatable That's divine vessel. intervention. Uh, really uh, is. Hmm. Well, crew member greets the injured future head of state saying, welcome aboard, sir. Mm-hmm. Wow. I found another piece, too. Um, it looks like the group left a note, George. We waited and waited. <laughs> wow. Fair uh, winds and following seas, sir. Right. We have the watch. We have the watch. Senators mm-hmm. emerging from a closed-door briefing with the CIA director Tuesday morning accused the Saudi crown prince of complicity in the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Some of their strongest accusations to date, U.S. lawmakers said evidence presented by the U.S. spy agency overwhelmingly pointed to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's involvement in the killing. Senator Lindsey Graham made clear that business as usual with the Saudis had come to an end and said the U.S. should come down on the government of Riyadh like a ton of bricks, adding that he could no longer support arms sales to the Saudis as long as Mohammed was in charge. That would be a break, of course, with President Trump, who Graham has always backed. Uh, Senator Bob Corker, the chairman of the Committee on Foreign Relations, said if the crown prince went in front of a jury, he would be convicted in 30 minutes. After the war, it was discovered that the captured airmen had been beaten and tortured before being executed. The airmen were beheaded on the orders of Lieutenant General Yoshio Tachibana. American authorities claim 
that the Japanese officers then ate parts of the bodies of four of the men. Wow. I didn't I'm, know the Japanese were cannibals. Yeah, right. They uh, thought it was uh, they would eat human flesh in very small pieces, believing it was good medicine for the stomach. I'll see. I have a story here that we should do so long as Kenny is not here. Oh, that's one a good of those. Idea. It's one of those. A 300-pound Pennsylvania woman. Oh, God. Oh, we're off to a good start. Yeah. I, I, I'm already hearing his mouth moving as he's listening to the <laughs> podcast. She a uh, big girl. Rather I killed, uh, she killed her boyfriend oh. by hitting him with a table leg Ooh. and then sitting on him. <laughs> That's what killed him. She pleaded guilty to third-degree murder. Her name is uh-huh. Wendy Thomas, W-I-N-D-I. That's Foghornable, of course. Yeah. She told police she'd been drinking and craving crack cocaine. Oh, of course. When she smothered 120-pound Keno <laughs> Butler. So you got Wendy and Keno here. They had an altercation last March. The cause of death was respiratory insufficiency, secondary to blunt force trauma to the neck and thoracic compression, exacerbated by blunt force trauma to the head, according to goreed.com. Thomas uh, will be in court December 21st. Prosecutors are are recommending the woman spend uh, 18 to 36 years behind bars. Both Thomas and Butler were 44 at the time of the incident. Had Thomas been found guilty by a jury, she could have been incarcerated for 40 years. Years. The uh, the cause of death? <laughs> <laughs> Why can't you say that? I, you know, Come I don't on. think we can. Podcast? I don't think we can. <laughs> That's fine. Something to do with crack. Oh, well, she it's had a craving. More yeah. like, she had a craving. More like 50 pounds. <laughs> he was you last... know, figure out the geometry of the... <laughs> right, right, you know, exactly. You got a 300-pounder exactly. there. Uh, the cause of death was suffocation <laughs> by 50 pounds of crack. You know, what What was the gentleman's name? Uh, Keno Butler. Keno Butler. Keno's wow. last words were... Oh. <laughs> oh. I, I mean, you know, it's just... That's uh, terrible. It's terrible. It, it really is. And it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. I got a sweet story here that was kind of the follow-up. You, you talked a little bit about... Sure. <laughs> H.W.'s dog, his uh, service Sully, dog. Sully. I had a little more information because yesterday uh, we wanted to know if he was named after uh, the pilot, and he was. He was, yeah. He was named after the pilot who landed the plane in the Hudson right. back in 2009. Right. Uh, he now it will return to Long Island, Sully will, at mm-hmm. the end of the week. He'll reside there until after the holidays, and he'll join Walter Reed Military Medical Center working with wounded U.S. military veterans. Uh, those close to the dog say for now he appears lonely. Mm-hmm. Missing, of course, uh, H.W. America's vet dog says Sully is getting his spirit back and will share his love for life with wounded vets again beginning next month. Yeah, I got a question. Well, I got yeah. a question. Yep. Uh, these uh, service dogs are fantastic. Mm-hmm. But this guy was the president of the United States. Didn't he have people to do what the dog was doing? Uh, what, yes. In other words, what, yes, he would. What, what, was, what was the dog providing him? I think uh, companionship because yes, he was but, such a do- remember Millie he was such a dog guy yeah. that I think it just made him feel uh, so much more comfortable didn't, and at ease. Didn't Sully though enter his life when Barbara passed away? I don't know when they acquired. Sully. Did you also sure. read that every Christmas Eve and Christmas he would stay in the White House so the people who worked in the White House, including the Secret Service people, could go home? And wow. then he went to Texas on December 26th uh, during his presidency. Wow, that's pretty cool. But he's that—that that was the kind of guy. He, he was a guy. Well, he hung out with him in the kitchen at three in the morning, drinking uh, milk and eating the cookies that the chef made. But he wanted 
he he wanted those people to go home so they wouldn't have to cancel Christmas. <laughs> Can't help yourself sometimes. No, you? because every every TV show and, and have, show that has to do with Christmas, do you hear that phrase? We might have to cancel Christmas. Mm-hmm. No, well, the twenty fifth is going to be here no matter what. That's right. Speaking of Christmas. Yes, is it canceled? A family's attempt to win their neighborhood Christmas lights competition ended up causing panic when a passerby thought a man was stuck on their roof. The airline family in Austin, Texas, decided to recreate the decoration scene from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, complete with Clark Griswold hanging by his fingertips to the top of the Uh. house. In that scene, of course, uh, if you've seen the movie, Clark, uh, played by Chevy Chase, slides down the roof of his house while adding the lights and ends up dangling from the gutter. So they hung a dangling Clark front and center of their decoration, but it took veteran Alfred Norwood Jr. by surprise when he walked past one day. He believed someone was really in distress, quickly moved a ladder to try and help, called police, and tried to wave down (laughs) passing cars. Oh, my God. It's a dummy hanging there. That's correct. Mr. Norwood was caught on the family's camera offering help to the apparent victim yelling up to him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are you okay? He told ABC 13, I was trying to get him down any way I could, except when I started talking to him, he never said nothing. Then I thought, oh, my God, I hope he's not dead. Let's call 911. He's got a good grip for a dead man. Ladder close enough? (laughs) According to police officers, Mr. Norwood's call was not the first one police had received about the house. Chris Airline, the man behind the decoration, and his sister-in-law tracked Mr. Norwood down after the incident and gave him a gift card for all of his troubles. Uh, He was doing everything he could to get the ladder, according to the sister-in-law. He didn't give up. Whatever he had to do, we were thankful he was trying to save old Clark Griswold. Nine-year-old boy has convinced the leaders of a small northern Colorado town to overturn a nearly century-old ban on snowball fights. What? Yeah, they've uh, for over 100 years had a ban on snowball fights. Uh, Dane Best lives in the often snow-swept town of Severance, Colorado, presented his arguments to a town board meeting Monday night, and members voted unanimously to lift the snowball van. Uh, ban? Ban, ban, excuse me. There was just a um, a photo, I don't even know how or why, of a... A GMC pickup driving through the snow, and attached to the back bumper was a a, a young man who was crouched down, holding onto the bumper <laughs> with a ski mask yeah. on, doing what do we call it? bumper skiing? Mm-hmm. Like that we did in the nineteen you know seventies or early eighties. That you don't see anymore, which is probably a good thing. Are you guys aware that Jesse Ventura testified at the racketeering trial of his old motorcycle club, the Mongols? I had no idea. Where did you see this? So Pioneer Press today. Ventura, the highest profile member of the Mongols, took the stand as an expert witness in the midst of an ongoing federal racketeering trial in which prosecutors are attempting to gain control over the motorcycle club's trademark name, a move that would allow law enforcement to bar the bikers from wearing the patches that adorn their vests. Are you a member of the Mongols Motorcycle Club, Attorney Joseph Yanni, who was representing the Mongols, asked Ventura at the beginning of the testimony. Yes, I am, replied Ventura, uh, who later explained he is currently an inactive member of the Mongols. Are you a member of a gang? Vanny asked. No, Ventura responded. Gangs generally don't broadcast who they are. Uh, During the trial, prosecutors have accused Mongols leaders of encouraging and rewarding members who commit crimes, including assault, drug trafficking, and murder. 
The Mongols attorney has denied the allegations, telling jurors that the organization is not responsible for crimes committed by individual members or attacks carried out in self-defense and claiming that law enforcement has entrapped some members into committing crimes. Ventura said he joined the Mongols in 1973, shortly after returning from his second tour in Vietnam. The former governor testified that he was still an active duty member of the U.S. Navy and became a full patch member of the uh, Mongols, uh, recalling putting uh, uh, oh, he would put on his vest as he left the base. It was a stepping stone I needed to make the transition from military life back to civilian life, Ventura said. I owe them for being there for me when the rest of the world was not. So there you have it. Hey, hmm? I don't, again, I don't know how this is possible. Yeah. You better, you better put, pick up line 10. Yes, go ahead. Hey, uh, Joe. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's the dove. I, you know, I, I don't listen to the podcast. No. Uh, but... I was just in court. Uh, I had to testify about being a a, uh, a motor, motorcycle gang uh, 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 guy. Yeah. When I was like in the when I was in the gang, and I just want to clarify that uh, even though I don't listen to your podcast, I'm sure you're going to cover that. Yes. It'll be a piece of news. Maybe Johnny Height's going to get on it or something like that. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I. Um, it was a little mistake. I did not want to be a member of the, the Mongols. I thought it was a dog motorcycle gang, and I was going to be a member of the mongrels. I see. Uh, I think dogs are tough. and you know. Are you a dog guy? I never did get around to that I with you. I had Franklin, the little, uh, the little um, it wasn't a pug. He was an English bulldog. I see. It had terrible gas. So you'd be walking around the residence, and you would know that uh, we called him Martin Franklin. Uh-huh. Uh, he would be upstairs. You know, when he would go downstairs, it would just go like, as his butt went back and forth. We had to build him a little, uh, like a little a shelf, uh, a ramp. Yeah. You know, a ramp for a dog, a yeah. dog ramp. Dog ramp. Uh, so when he went up and down the stairs, what he would do is he would use the ramp. He would what? He would, he would, instead of taking the stairs, yes. uh, we would put a, a, a piece of wood right. and make a, a, something similar to a ramp. So when he went up the stairs, he didn't use the stairs. He went up the, the, I got, the I, wood like a ramp. I got it. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay, I, I don't know. Do what now? Well, we're a long way from you testifying at a at a, at a trial. I thought I was making the, you know, a news, I'm sure... Uh, your other employer, the Pioneer Press, is going to cover it as well. They did. I uh, see. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't know why you're not talking about it. Well, no, we we uh, have been. We have been. Your podcast. Right. Well, thanks, Governor. Uh, it's ha- happening out in California, I guess. That's where you had to testify. Uh, yeah, it's out in California. What else did you want to know? That's I it. want to know. That's it. I learned more about the dog than I ever realized I would. Uh, fr- uh, Fart and Freddy. Do what now? Fart and Franklin. Uh, Fart and Franklin. Yeah. Thanks for weighing right, in. Uh, thanks, buddy. I'll talk to you later. Okay, thank uh, you. Hi, Johnny Height. Hi. Hi. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Franklin. Did you grasp? Franklin. Did you? Did you think you didn't grasp the concept of the ramp? I don't know. He really struggled to make sure I understood the ramp. I got the ramp part. Did the dog Franklin walked really, up a ramp. Did he really have a ramp in uh, the mansion? Yeah, I never saw it. Huh. But Franklin really did have bad gas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can verify that. Well.
Soaking the governor. It was just uh, <laughs> it was not. My favorite part of that was, I think you'll cover that. Well, we did cover it. Yeah. See? Yeah. yeah, see? He got you, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's like an expose, man. Uh, I don't busted. listen, but it should be covered on your podcast. Tomorrow, Stephen Moore from the Heritage Foundation, uh, who has some... Uh, uh, remarks. He, uh, I'm eager to hear about the uh, government's latest report on we're all going to be dead in a hundred years if we don't do what now. Right. As, uh, as that was the would worst say. governor impersonation I've ever heard. If we don't do what now. Right. Uh, you got to work on that. Mm-hmm. You and your mongrels. Yeah. Hey, Thank gr- you. GarageLogic.com is where you're going to find Greg Holcomb's latest, latest uh, creation. You're going to love it. And don't forget, go to all. Garage Logic social media and check out this summit party we are going to have on December 21st. It's limited space, so get in early. Check it all out at garagelogic.com, Garage Logic Facebook page, and Garage Logic on Twitter and Instagram. See you next click.